everyone. Welcome back to the I Should Totally Be Dead or Not podcast, where we tell true stories of survivors or true crime, not to disasters, and everything else in between. How's it going, Michelle? Oh, Caitlin. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was very dramatic. It was. It's no, December. I... It's supposed to be happy. I had the dumbest thing happen to me. <laughs> oh, no. What? As... Oh, my God. Okay. So I'm out doing the bee fondant joel mm-hmm. and i and we're getting all these packages together and we're bagging up stuff and packaging and blah 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 and so i go over to like get a mail tote and somehow end up like com- totally tripping okay and we have like our dog bed out there because we occasionally have the dogs downstairs with us you know uh-huh. i'm working downstairs by myself i always have a dog there anyway i end up sort of tripping over this thing and do the most ridiculous slow motion yet painful fall ever like so i go down on both knees i'm already like oh like kind of (laughs) yelling at the same time and then we have this dumb ramp and i end up rolling down the ramp (laughs) in addition to having just fallen and so joel is watching this whole thing take place and it's like what the fuck just happened to you (laughs) it's like you were doing this one thing and then you were like rolling and now I'm crying (laughs) dumb knees hurt and he's like are you okay more than just your ego okay he had to pick me up like help me up and gave me a hug for a little while oh oh my gosh (laughs) and I couldn't stop crying I had to like finally like go take a break and wash my face and get my shit together so now I have like totally bruised knees and I'm still like a little bit of an adrenaline rush from this stupid fall that happened like an hour ago (laughs) you poor thing that's so sad Oh my gosh, that's terrible! I'm powering through for you. Yeah, just take more just sips. Made myself a cocktail and <laughs> drank like three of them already. As if it wasn't bad enough, the rolling down the ramp, like it just. I'm sorry, but picturing that just sounds funny though. <laughs> this is the whole fucking beach over again, where I'm just being like washing oh. machine around and i have no control over it next thing i know my boob is out like <laughs> what is happening oh that's so nice of joel he gave you some comfort what a sweet husband he didn't even laugh oh you poor thing well yeah. what are you drinking to make yourself feel a little bit better what we got I'm soothing my wounds yes <laughs> a peppermint mocha martini maybe yeah mm-hmm. oh it was gonna be like an espresso a peppermint espresso martini yeah but i went a little bit too hard with the peppermint vodka <laughs> and so <laughs> i added a little glug of chocolate to you know get it back into balance i, mm-hmm. I could only do what i could you know so no these yeah. things are delicious and i've drank seriously like four of them it's <laughs> It's very good. Again, peppermint is just my thing. I just love peppermint. It's yeah. pretty much, it's coffee, cream. I added a little bit of sugar to mine. Oh, okay. I just tend to like a little coffee and cream and sugar, you know, Okay. in general. Then I added a hearty slug of the peppermint vodka mm-hmm. and then put that into the mixer, put a 
nice little squeeze of Hershey chocolate, mix it up, pour it into a martini glass. Delicious. You didn't put ice. You didn't blend it. You just. No, I, I used a cocktail shaker. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the proportions, what, what am I writing down, Michelle? A slug <sighs> of a. Uh... Well, I don't know. I just made a cup of coffee and I put stuff in it. Okay. Well, oh, God, I am whiny as hell. I apologize. <laughs> she rolls down one ramp and now. <laughs> and then she's a whiny bitch for the whole rest of the day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Maybe you need a nap later, sweetheart. Whining. Maybe I need a little cheese with that wine. <laughs> I could go for some cheese though right now. That's okay. Well, okay. So okay. coffee, peppermint vodka, Hershey chocolate. I probably did two parts coffee, enough cream to make it nice and creamy. Mm-hmm. Maybe a teaspoon of sugar, probably about a shot of the peppermint vodka. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, about a tablespoon of Hershey syrup, shake it over ice and then pour it out. Mm. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'll be that. making these again. We'll try I it. think this is going to be like our go-to Christmas morning drink now because yeah. it's, it's boozy, it's buzzy, it's delicious. All mm. right. Mm. Okay. Should we jump into it? Yes. All right. This story is about Beverly Bertram. Beverly Bertram. Okay. And we are in Ontario, Canada. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's August 21st, 2016. Okay, not too long ago. No, no. Beverly is 68 years old, and she is a diabetic, and she recently had leg surgery, so she was recovering from that. So they had a a nurse come in to help take care of her. Okay, that makes sense. So that day, she was receiving antibiotics through an IV. After the dose, though, she started to feel very nauseous and dizzy and she was very disoriented Mm. and she wasn't sure what was going on with her so she didn't take her insulin that day because she wasn't sure what was happening to her but she didn't want not like she didn't want to be a bother but she's like I don't think I need medical attention so she just kind of tried to ride it out just to see Mm. if, if she would get better and which she did she felt okay. she started to feel better and she actually recovered from that. But her decision not to take her insulin actually saved her life. Oh, interesting. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because Beverly just survived the serial killer, Elizabeth Wetlaufer. <gasps> A lady serial killer. My mm-hmm. word. You don't hear about many of these. Yes. So Elizabeth was hired into the staff of the Carescent, Carescent Care. I don't know, something like that. It's a long term care home facility. Okay. okay. And this was in 2007. So we're kind of going back a little bit. That's when she was hired on. Initially, her coworkers thought she was caring and professional, but as time went on, she started to struggle with alcoholism and substance abuse. Oh, dear. People even accused her of showing up drunk and was found passed out in the basement during a night shift. Oh, gosh. She was suspended four times for medical-related errors, but was not fired until March of 2014. It takes four medical-related errors to get fired and also be caught, passed out. I mean, I guess... Well, she she wow. was just suspended four times, but she finally was fired 
after a serious incident in which she gave the wrong medication to a patient. That was the final Mm -hmm. straw. But over the course of her career, she would kill eight people and six attempted killings as well. Oh, wow. Yes. Her first kill was August 11, 2007, when she injected James Silcox, 84, a World War II vet and a, fa- and a father of six, with enough insulin to kill him. Mm. So these are the people that she killed, her being a nurse at this Kersent care facility from 2007 to th- 2014. Uh, Maurice Mo Grant, he was 84. Gladys Millard, 87. Helen Matheson, 95. Mary Zorin Whiskey, 96. Helen Young, 90. Maureen Pickering, 79. And then she also attempted to kill Michael Priddle, 63, and Wayne Hedges, 57, with the intent, you know, to kill them. Yep. So were these intentional or was she just like a really bad nurse? these were intentional okay Mm -hmm. just i would just to be clear (laughs) yes so after she was finally fired in 2014 after killing all these people she moved to uh working part-time at other facilities and patients homes oh gosh so after she left that care facility she killed arpad hervath 75 at a meadow park facility and then she attempted to kill sandra tower 77 and her very last victim, Beverly Bertram, 68. So Beverly oh. was the last victim. So did she end up like adding extra insulin to Beverly? Well, Beverly, even though she was a diabetic, she was only supposed to get antibiotics. Mm. That was it. But on the August 21st date, Elizabeth injected Beverly 180 units of insulin, which It really depends on insulin amount, but like the average is 10 units of insulin. So it was way past 180. Yeah, and it it probably dropped her blood sugar down to almost nothing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's why she was nauseous and dizzy for the longest time. And luckily she recovered. Probably a little incoherent as well. I mean, that that happens. A lot of mental confusion Mm -hmm. can happen with low blood sugar. Yeah, if she's having a medical emergency, well, her nurse just tried to kill her, so the nurse is not going to help, you know? Yeah. So how Do we know the intention, or am I, like, spoiler alert, getting too far ahead? No, no, we we will know the... Yes, I will get to that. But how was Elizabeth caught? How was she caught? Yes. So September 16th, so this happened in August. It's now been a month. September 16th, 2016, Elizabeth checked herself into an inpatient drug rehabilitation program Mm. so she's like apparently she just needs help but that is where she confessed to all of these murders the facility notified the college of nurses of ontario cno and the toronto police so elizabeth herself emailed cno to resign as a registered nurse because she had deliberately harmed patients in her care she personally called an investigator from CNO and had the drug facility staff fax a four-page confession. She provided police with a two-hour confession, and then she was finally charged. So she did, like, she just confessed to everything. I wonder why, like, I can't stop killing. I just need to be stopped. Or 
So Elizabeth said she knew right from wrong, but was visited by surges, she would call, and she could not control them. She says God or the devil or whatever made her do it. She never claimed a feeling pleasure from the killings and actually felt really horrible after each murder. So. Huh. She just had this like sort of she impulse said that she, and surge that just made her mm-hmm. want to murder. Yeah. And she said she could hear like this, like her own laughter, like a cackling and not she wouldn't verbally do it, but it was, she said she would like feel it in her chest and it was just uncontrollable and she just wanted to continue to do it she even wrote poetry about taking lives and such so she wow yeah she was on a whole another level so she was charged with eight first degree murder counts and after more investigating she was also charged with four counts of attempted murder and two counts of aggravated assault on january 13th 2017 wow yes on June 1st, she confessed guilty to all the charges and was sentenced on June 26th to eight concurrent life terms in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years. So okay, concurrent- hang on, hang on. Sorry. Yeah. Concurrent, isn't that all at the same time? Yes, that's what I was about to say. A concurrent sentence allows the defendant to serve all of their sentences at the same time. But this, she has a life sentence. And in Canada, that means life. Like, a real it's not tw- life. Yeah, it's not She's 25 not years. Like in 18 years or something. Yes. Yeah. So they mean life in Canada unless a possibly parole after 25 years. So she's there for at least 25 years. Wow. And then they'll see if she's up for parole. Yeah. So Beverly states, I don't understand why she was bound bent and determined to kill me i no longer know who i am because elizabeth wetlawfer consumes my life if there was a change i would like to see happen it would be respect given attention needs to be paid to those in need of care i deserved better Mm. so this was just part of her victim impact statements at the public hearing so she had a more to it as well yeah but they also had a joint written one submitted by the victim's families and made at least 40 wide-ranging recommendations to improve the long-term care system, touching on everything from coroner's investigation to staffing levels and long-term care funding. I just wonder if there's more serial killer caregivers, right? you know, where it's just it's not this person was older and died of natural causes or so Mm -hmm. it seems and so we're just moving on and you know or i don't know i could just see it not being noticed i guess that quickly Mm -hmm. if something Mm -hmm. like that was going on especially if somebody moved around a lot and that type of thing oh my god yeah it's just scary because yeah as some of the medical field it's like you it's life or death like you have someone's lives in your hands And we put so much trust into that and hope like they're good people. I know that's just a handful of, you know, bad people doing shitty things, but still it's scary. It's very scary. No, and absolutely. I mean, I know a dude who recently went to jail for elder abuse. Oh, (laughs) wow. And and I think, unfortunately, it's super common, Mm -hmm. you know, and it sucks. Yeah. So, ugh. 
I know That's... we need more long-term care facilities and yeah you know caregivers I think half the time they're getting paid minimum wage <laughs> you know yeah. and then you're right they have a ton of responsibility and they've got to do a lot of hard work for mm-hmm. again like a minimum wage yeah <laughs> often oh and these victims are like, yeah all the victims that she did they're all elderly and I don't know it's just it's just sad like they need help you know yeah <laughs> and uh it's just super yeah. sad you want but, to think they they have trusted care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. And uh, so Elizabeth is one of known as one of the worst serial killers in Canada. So oh. mm-hmm. interesting. Well, she well, killed again, a lot just, of people. Um, you know, as far as the ratio go from men serial killers versus women serial killers, mm-hmm. there's just not a lot of women serial killers right. <laughs> comparatively. Right. So it's just kind of strange to hear about it almost yeah and it w- i mean the the question is would she have gotten away with it if she didn't confess it sounds like Probably. it yeah. yeah i mean it didn't she- seem like anyone was that suspect yeah they just fired her like okay well this is enough okay bye you can't do this you anymore as a nurse we'll see you later yeah but then she still got hired on to do part-time work at other places and killed more people and it just she wouldn't have gotten caught it seems like yeah well and you move to a different state or you move you know Mm. or i guess they're in canada so different province i don't know you could move around a lot i would imagine right and get hired on all over oh my gosh it's crazy so that's just that's just scary that you know she may have just gotten away with it if she didn't have a change in conscience or whatever (laughs) my goodness well that's terrifying thank you caitlin yeah, I know you're you are welcome, Michelle. Yeah. Uh, as if but... I wasn't scared to get older anyway. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I know you're tumbling down uh, ramps. You may be like, you know, proper ass into into foster care. I'm not helping out. <laughs> foster care? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh I'll adopt you, Michelle. You're the best. <laughs> no, you can have but... a room with me. Sounds good. Well <laughs> okay. You're not that much yeah. younger than me. Nice try. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, terrible. But uh, so sorry, Beverly. It's just interesting that she was the very last victim. And luckily she didn't, you know, she recovered. And luckily she didn't take her insulin. Take her insulin, as you say. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All these just little things that help save lives. Seriously. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Let's hear your story. Should we jump in? Are we ready yeah. to rock and roll? Okay. We are. So this story uh-huh. is pretty graphic. Oh, okay. So just to kind of let you know ahead of time. <laughs> All right, listeners, be this is your warning. Yeah, this is like your second warning. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is probably maybe one of the more graphic ones I've told. Yeah, you have always yeah. Some of my stuff gets pretty gross though. Yes, it sure does. Yeah, I guess there's a few that popped in mind, but yeah, go for it. Yes, yeah, so I don't know why I thought to warn you now. <laughs> so. <laughs> so here we roll. Okay. Well, this is actually going back to November 10th, 1994. Oh, okay. So going a little ways back. Mm-hmm. And we are in, they're in Talgarth, Poise, Wales. Okay. So we're, nice. We're in Europe. We're overseas. Actually, I'm not even fully sure where Wales is. I feel like I should, you know crack open an atlas every now and again but all right let's just i wish i hadn't said that but 
Here we go. Okay, so this story is about Lee Taylor. Okay. And he is on his way home after a day of studying for a business course he's taking at the university there. Okay. So his friends spotted him as he's heading back to the university. And they're like, come on, Lee, it's your 22nd birthday tomorrow. Let's go celebrate. And he was like, well, there's nothing I can do. I guess I got to go celebrate my birthday. Oh, yeah. So, so off he goes to go have a few drinks at the college bar, the local bar there. Okay. But he ended up sort of slipping away a little bit early because the next day he had a football match. And so he had been, he was thinking about it. So he plays for the, um, I think for the local college. Okay. And, but he had a Welsh club coming to watch him play. Oh, big deal. uh, Yeah, it's a big deal. There's the potential that he's going to turn professional. Mm. So this is what he's thinking about as he's heading home after just a couple drinks. It's a foggy night and Lee passes four men who are in their 20s that are kind of hanging out outside a pub. And he just sort of passes them on and doesn't really think about it. But then a moment later, he notices that they're following him. Oh, no. And so he remembers that there had been a lot of reports of attacks on students by a local gang. And he was like, fuck, that's these guys behind me. So he takes off. He starts running. And then all at once he hears, get him. (gasps) He can tell he's being pursued. No, I know. So he's running, and fortunately, he's super fit. And you know, from being almost a professional football player, and I think by football, we're actually talking about soccer, right? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he he takes off, but he's he's running. You know, he's beginning to lose him a little bit uh, because he's running so much faster. And so he glances back, and he thinks that maybe he's he's shaking him off and so he eases his body over this fence and beyond the fence there seemed to be a small bridge so he was thinking this was going to be his getaway so he's going to go over this fence over to the bridge and then be gone okay on to the it calls it the wasteland so i don't know what that means is this lion king what it's probably like uh you know wilderness beyond right not a lot of people so he's heading over this, and all of a sudden, there's this immense flash. A searing pain goes through Lee's body, and an electric jolt shoots him through the air. <gasps> and he had ended up zapping himself on this railway gantry, which is like a sort of a a big ladder-looking thing that goes over the the railway, the railroad. Uh huh. Oh, he touched that as he was like going over this fence, and (gasps) twenty five thousand volts shot through him. Oh my gosh! So he gets shot off. He lands and he's screaming, uh, because his entire body is on fire. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! (laughs) I know. This is pretty. So he ends up falling twenty feet before landing, and his limbs are locked rigid like he Mm. can't really move at all because of this electric jolt right he regains consciousness to feel that his shoulder is vibrating 
And then he hears this roar in the distance. And then he realizes I'm laying on a railroad track. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So, and he looks up and the lights are coming toward him. (gasps) And he's like desperately trying to roll over and blacks out. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Ah! So half a mile away, an alarm has been raised in the British Transport Police Station. So not long after midnight, the driver of a train bound for rugby had seen a pile of burning rags on the tracks just a few miles from the university. And so on receiving this report, Sergeant Vernon Grinney and his two colleagues set off to sort of walk the line go see what Mm -hmm. was burning on the railroad track. They come upon this sort of black trash bag looking thing and it was smoldering. And so he bends down and he realizes that it's a man. Oh my gosh. That is essentially on fire. He said he was burned black as charcoal. (gasps) Like the only thing that had any color that was not black were the whites of his eyes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and I guess a light rain had started coming down. And so it extinguished the flame. So he was actually no longer on fire. But okay. He's still yeah. Smoldering and burning Ugh. slightly. Smoke is coming. I know. God, I can't even imagine. No. Okay. I feel like sorry. he didn't get run over by a train. Yeah. I don't know how he didn't get run over. I'm wondering if it was like multiple sets of tracks. Right. Yeah, right. Or some some such thing because it did sort of seem like he was going to get run over but yeah. he in fact did not get run over by a train thank goodness yeah <laughs> sergeant vernon sort of looks down and he realizes that this is a young man mm-hmm. on the tracks and he immediately just gets kind of emotional because he's thinking of his own teenage kids oh you know, and they're like oh this could be them uh. so he pulls off his raincoat and sort of gently lays it over lee the two other colleagues that were with him go down kind of to where the ambulance is going to come up so they can help the ambulance get to Lee. And cause it's like, I guess quite a steep embankment. So it's oh. not especially easy to get, to get people to. there. Okay. So instinctively Sergeant Vernon sort of holds Lee's hand as comfort. Cause he's like, he's probably going to be, dead shortly i mean there's no way that he could possibly live through this Mm. and what he was surprised by is that lee actually grabbed back quite firmly and so he sort of had this blossoming of hope you know that maybe this is not going to be certain death so vernon sat with him trying to keep lee alert he held his hand the whole time trying to reassure him but then when the paramics got there and he let go of Lee's hand, he had mm-hmm. his skin like still in his hand. So he was, yeah, I know. Sloughing off. It <gasps> totally reminds me of that story you told about Chernobyl. Oh, like, right. A long time ago. I think mm-hmm. it's kind of a similar situation where the burn, the skin is just burning right off. Yeah. Oh, so Lee was rushed to the hospital where Dr. Terry Gilpin was on duty. And when she saw him, she said she could scarcely recognize him as even a human. Oh, my God. Hardly tell. His face was really swollen and burned completely black. 
his hair had turned a bluish color and was standing up on end you know so i mean like the cartoons that's right, what happened right. to his hair from the waist up his flesh was burned to the muscle and in places <gasps> it was burned down to the bone like, oh my god completely gone and lee's eyes even changed color they went from green to a fish-like gray so he he burned the color out of his eyes somehow or maybe the electricity i'm not sure bizarre dr gilpin was like ah yeah like what <laughs> do you even like, start 24 year old you know fairly new doctor who's you know like i don't even hardly know what to do for this guy what do mm -hmm. we do but she just set her nerves aside and just sort of started working on him like she would anyone else. You know, she got him hooked up to the IV. She got him oxygen. She started giving him blood and she had x-rays done to check for spinal injuries. And all the while she's like, Lee, you've had an accident. You know, we're here to help you. But he was not really conscious at Fair. this point. So. Yeah. They ended up giving him anesthesia. And what they then noticed is that his breathing became very labored. And I'm mm. like, what the hell? And what it turns out, his burned skin on his chest was now, it wasn't expanding like it should, you know, it wasn't acting like normal skin. So he couldn't breathe. It was like acting like a tight band or a tight rope around his neck and was oh interesting so his own skin was like suffocating him because he couldn't expand his chest so Whoa. they ended up she was like well we gotta fortunately he's under already so she took a scalpel and ended up cutting three really pretty deep slices down his chest and Dang. finally after she went one time nothing she went again yeah nothing and then finally on the third one she went quite deep and actually got to some blood which told her she had found um living tissue and then oh. it sort of just his chest sort of burst open for at that point and then he was able to breathe again whoa so they had to she had to cut down until she found actually living tissue oh i can't even my gosh uh so now he's breathing again so that's good okay yeah that's good. so now he needs to be wheeled off to intensive care so they cover his entire body in like plastic bags and plastic wrap essentially because he's got nothing to protect him from the elements at this point right. you know even just stuff in the air could be very damaging to him and pretty much uh dr terry was like i don't even know if he's gonna make it until morning i mean right in bad bad shape so the next day comes and he's whisked off to a bigger hospital in liverpool now dr ian james was in charge of the burn unit and he saw lee and just started operating immediately so he had to cut away all the dead skin cells off of lee's body because i guess deadly toxins can start to build up with all these dead skin cells all over oh. so yeah I, I didn't have any idea mm -hmm. so they had to just scrape him off until they could find actual living tissue so it's just a series of just scraping down scraping down scraping down oh 
So Lee's parents arrive, Carol and Robert, and they're thinking, they think my son's going to die, but they don't know him. He's a fighter. Oh my gosh. That's... <laughs> I know. Carol, God love her. Oh. So she started talking to the nurses and started really trying to impress upon them how special her son was and what a fighter he was and oh. not to give up. That made me so really lot... sad. I know. Oh, I know, Carol. I love her. Right. So Carol and Robert are taken to see Lee, and he is completely covered in bandages. Pretty much, apart from the sounds of the machines, the room was totally quiet. And Doctor Ian, who had done all of our surgeries, explained that uh, Lee would be kept now in a drug-induced coma for a while because yeah. the pain is just so excruciating that he probably it would just be too much yeah, for his body imagine. to handle Mm-mm. so 60 percent of lee's body had been burned Whoa. and what ian said dr ian said was he was a tomato skin away from losing his stomach and liver and throat <gasps> there was just barely enough to keep it saved <laughs> instead wow. of just burning he had lost a almost a quarter of his muscle tissue had been burned. He had broken his leg, his hip, and several ribs, and his right lung was punctured. And he gave Lee's chances of making it through one in 100. Wow. Like, it was just really slim. 1% is all you've mm. got. And that they had to keep on operating to keep on getting rid of those dead skin cells. Because okay. I guess they just kept on dying. I mean, like, wow, I think, yeah. you know, as the skin underneath was trying to recuperate, it was trying to, you know, I don't know. The Die other off. top was dying. Right, <laughs> so right. I, I'm probably not explaining this well at all. I'm I can picture it. You're doing good. Professional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Poor Lee. So Dr. Lee also let Carol and Robert know that Lee was going to need massive skin grafts. And they had already harvested some skin from Lee's legs, but it was not enough. And so he asked Carol and Robert to donate skin. And Mm -hmm. Carol was like, yes, yes, of course. And Mm -hmm. so they ended up taking skin from Carol's thighs to uh, graft onto Lee to help, you know, piece them back together. My God. So five weeks, Lee lay in the coma in intensive care. Whoa. He, at this point, had hundreds of goodwill messages from friends and relatives. That's and sweet. after the five weeks, he was finally able to breathe again without a ventilator. And so okay. now they're bringing him out of the coma and he's got a whole slew of much more conscious healing to get done yeah. now. Oh. So Lee dreaded the mornings because that is when the nurses had to come in and change all of his dressings. Oh. And at this point, they're very concerned about him being addicted to morphine because he has been on massive amounts of morphine for the incredible pain that he's been in. So now they're starting to, you know, reduce the amount of morphine Mm. that he's getting. He really just worked himself up into almost an altered state to be able to face these morning bandage removals because they were just 
they were excruciating. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And so he would just imagine like being out on a mountain and the feeling he has is the icy wind on him. And, you know, <laughs> and that would sort of help alleviate his pain a little bit. Right. So over the next 19 weeks, Lee undergoes 30 operations and receives more than 170 pints of blood. Whoa. The reason actually he needed so much blood is because he had so little skin that it would seep out of him. Like his gosh, fall onto the floor because he didn't have enough skin to keep it in his body. That's insane. Yeah. Oh, so 170 pints of blood. His kidneys failed twice. His lungs collapsed and had to be drained. And some of the skin grafts didn't take and had to be redone. So he did not have an easy go of it. Does not sound like it. No. But within two months, he was sitting up. And by four months, he was raising his arms above his head. And he was told that that would take probably three years to accomplish. Wow. Okay. He was able to do it in just four months. Dr. Ian was like, his courage is remarkable. So at the end of March, again, this happened back in November. So now we're in March of 1995. He was moved to another hospital, which was just a few miles away from his home. At one point now, his weight dropped to 70 pounds whoa yeah it says five stone i had to look up what five stone fair (laughs) yeah same so which is less than half of his previous weight he looked as frail as an injured bird and he couldn't i know god he couldn't get out of bed without help he could walk but it was slow and very laborious he was pretty much only able to take a few steps without having to stop and rest The burns on his face now were beginning to heal, which was exciting. So there would be no scars to mar his good looks. I'll show you a picture of him afterwards. Like, it's pretty remarkable. Wow. But the muscles on one side of his neck had burned away very badly. He didn't have a lot of skin or muscle there. So the skin that had healed was sort of not stretched enough i guess for oh. sort of a lack of and so his head sort of pulled to one side interesting and okay. he was just like no this isn't gonna work for me i'm gonna get yeah. over this and so with the help of kumari diaz who was a like a physical therapist he was able to stretch his scars and his muscles and so he was able to bring back a lot of his i guess fluid fluidity in his movements and was able to actually get his head to not pull to one side wow so he just he worked really hard he never gave up and worked doggedly towards getting better (laughs) when he would look in the mirror he said he would feel this sort of black rage just come over him which Mm. made him want to work harder to get back to where he was So he would just submit to another hour of exhausting physical therapy. And, you know, pretty much Kumari was pushing Lee as hard as Lee was pushing her to push him. Okay. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, So in July of 1995, just eight months after the accident, 
Lee and his father actually went out to the football pitch near their home in Targoth to knock around the ball. <laughs> so Robert was proud of his son. Lee didn't mind showing his scarred legs and he was regaining his weight. And so he was like, ah, oh, son, this is so good for you. But Lee was like, not feeling really confident. His lip, <clears throat> the hip he had broken was still sore and he didn't, he, he was like, I'm too stiff and slow and I can't dribble the ball the way I used to. But just a few months later, he was out jogging again. Wow. And yeah, just sort of getting closer and closer to back to where he was. And then in 1998, he was offered a place on the Welsh football club team to play in a like a charity game. And he was okay. thrilled to be able to do it and actually be able to play at not quite his full capacity but practically you know yeah. just four years after this whole thing happened absolutely so he had actually in the summer of 1997 he ended up graduating with his uh business degree and he had one final operation to kind of go through so which was to fix a little bit better fix his his throat his mm. neck where it pulled to the side. So I guess what they had been doing, they had put some balloons underneath the skin and mm -hmm. was like slowly stretching, like slowly inflating the balloons to make the skin stretch and stretch and stretch. And so then they were able to take that skin and sort of surgically stretch it over the scarred area. So huh. now he's got a much more normal looking and normal functioning neck. Okay. So that was the last thing. So now he can wear a shirt and tie without being wildly uncomfortable. And oh. so here he is. Here, I'll show you. Can you see? I can. Wow. But he looks amazing. You wouldn't even know it, would you? You couldn't even tell. No. No. Wow. So yeah, he recovers quite well. He ended up going on to a TV show in Manchester with the surgeon and Dr. Terry. And so he was able to really like express his gratitude uh -huh. and he was able to hear how they were like so impressed by how strong he was and, mm. you know, cause they really didn't think he had much of a shot of living right. at all. I mean, he was in terrible, terrible shape. So even uh, Dr. Terry was quite apprehensive about seeing him again, you know, cause oh. really the last time she had seen him, he had been badly injured. He was completely oh. black and he had all she could picture was his, you know, supercharged skin and his mm. off eyebrows. But then this tall, attractive figure walks into the room and she's like, oh, my God, I saved this kid's life. And here he is in front of Aww. me. And she realized at this point that he's real and alive and had his whole life in front of him still. Oh. So, so Lee I, made pretty much a full recovery after something that should have killed him instantly. That's amazing. I feel so bad for him. Like he wanted to be a professional football player. He was going to go to like, someone was going to watch him the next day. It was his yeah. birthday and all of that oh my gosh and then this thing that changes your life forever forever I mean, oh 
That's so I know when sad. I first kind of started reading it, I was like, these damn thugs, it's going to be about them. <laughs> I, w- I know I was about, is this a true crime, Michelle? My gosh. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. That's amazing. Like that is such hard work mentally and physically. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine the pain. I mean, no. kudos to him for not you know, just becoming a drug addict later. Yeah. I hear morphine is crazy. Oh, well, and I've had a few burns and some pretty, like I had a pretty significant one on my leg Mm -hmm. and it was excruciating. Right. You know, and that just covered, you know, the space of a dollar bill, not 75% of my body. Oh yeah. He was lucky he didn't get hit by that train. He was lucky someone (laughs) found him. Like lucky it rained. It's, crazy yeah oh my i gosh. mean they did they had no idea that that was a person there was right. like there's some trash on on fire on the train tracks can you please come check it out that's wow. no trash that's a man yeah oh uh-huh. that's so sad i am very happy though that yeah he's way so much better he's fully recovered mostly and he looks great he looks amazing but still i know this just sucks that was uh well good job lee my gosh uh indeed I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine. No. No. Well, and good job, Beverly, not getting serial killed. Seriously, insulin is no joke either, apparently. Oh, oh I, I'm very well aware. I remember I had a friend who was on insulin and he got down to a blood sugar level of like 17. I don't know how he didn't just slip into a coma. I mean, right. fortunately, we were able to get some like candy in him right away and he, you know, recovered. But it's crazy. And like, it's almost an entirely different personality that just sort of comes out. It's just completely crazy. I've seen videos of people like driving when they had like a diabetic, like not coma, but like. Yeah, going to a diabetic shock. Yeah, yeah. And they were, they finally got the car stopped and they're like, hello, are you okay? And they just, they were non-responsive and just so confused and i'm like wow it's crazy yeah no it is it's pretty wild what can happen yeah you got to be careful oh yeah and unfortunately they don't know what's happening often like they don't really realize that they're confused and Mm -hmm. that you know this is going on for them and so oh it's very scary it's very scary no thank you Ugh. Wow. Well, that's the medical miracles right here. My goodness. Indeed. Wow. Well, now I've had so much caffeine and I'm a little bit buzzed that I'm going to have to like go like clean the house for the next four hours or something. See, there we go. A Christmas morning drink. I know. I've had like six cups of coffee today. I think (laughs) if we include this, this cocktail. Yeah. It's so good though. My God, I'm still drinking it. It's very good. It's very tasty. Mm. Yum. All right, guys. Well, uh, we hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you're getting ready for, you know, holiday festivities and we'll catch you next time on our holiday episode. Oh, all right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.